Welcome to Stories After Midnight. The story we'll be reading today is called When I was 13 years old, my friends and I solved mysteries. The String Murders case still haunts me. Bye. And if you can guess who the author is, well, you win. It's Trash Tia. I really appreciate you listening, and a huge shout out to my patrons for helping make this episode possible. Let's get started. They called us the Middleview Four. Initially, it was just me and the mayor's son, Noah Presley. We were the first two members, and in the second grade, the two of us hated each other. He pulled my hair during nap time, and I scribbled on his drawings when he wasn't looking. When a dastardly crime hit our class, a milk thief, we reluctantly threw aside our differences and came together to catch the evildoer. Spoiler alert, it was Jessica S. After a nap time stakeout, when we were supposed to be asleep, Noah and I caught her red-handed, literally. Jessica's palms were still stained crimson from arts and crafts. Her plan was foolproof. Wait until we were all sleeping, and then drink all of our milk. Noah and I were hailed heroes. Well, no, we actually got in trouble for not sleeping. But our teacher did quietly thank us for catching Jessica before her evil crimes could continue. After the milk incident, Noah Presley didn't seem that bad anymore. I didn't have any friends. Instead of playing with the other kids, I spent the entirety of recess examining the dirt on the playground for unusual footprints. Jessica S. had been sternly reprimanded for stealing milk, but I had a feeling there were still criminals out there, and I would be the one to find and catch them. Mr. Stevens, the janitor, looked suspicious before lunch. I saw him crouched behind a dumpster with his head down. I thought he was pooping until I saw the small bag in his hands. Hiding behind a wall, I watched him open it up and stare at it for a while, before another teacher yelled his name. I ran away before he could catch me, but I was sure the janitor had run across the playground. Studying the dirt in front of me, I was sure the footprint belonged to Mr. Stevens. I had already checked his shoes. Mr. Miller, our teacher, asked me to collect everyone's workbooks from the faculty room. I couldn't resist. After an incident involving a faculty member trailing an animal poop from outside, all students and teachers had to take off their outdoor shoes and wear indoor ones. The janitor's outdoor shoes were neatly placed under his desk. Before I could hesitate, I checked the bottom of them, memorizing their pattern, swirls and seas. Stabbing at the footprints in the dirt, I idly traced the exact same swirly pattern. What are you doing, weirdo? Noah Presley knelt next to me his curious eyes following my fingers that were digging into the dirt. I wanted to trace the footprints with my fingers. Mom told me to keep my dress clean, but it was already filthy, my cheeks smeared with dirt. I didn't look up from my clue. Noah was a good sidekick, admittedly, but he did eat all the snacks during our stakeout, and he got distracted easily. We were almost caught when he freaked out over a moth. Investigating crime. I said, grabbing a stick and tracing the shoe pattern for the hundredth time. The footprint was too blurry. I could barely see any swirls. Noah sighed, snatching the stick off of me. You're doing it wrong, he grumbled. Before I could speak, the boy jumped up, prodding the dirt with the stick. You need to look at the patterns on the shoe and then see if they match. Whose shoe? I said, coughing over my panicked tone. He was on to me. That's what I've been doing. The boy's lips curled into a smile. He was the mayor's son, so I was careful around him. 
Even when we worked together to catch the milk thief, I kept my distance. He folded his arms, giggling. The janitor's shoe. I saw you spying on him while he was eating white powder. I stepped back. I wasn't spying. Noah followed me, mocking my backing away. Another step and he was standing on my shoes. You were too. I saw you hiding behind the wall before recess. You were spying on the janitor. Ugh, I stuck out my tongue. Boy cooties. Leaning away from him, I pulled a face. No, I didn't, and you can't prove it. Yeah, I can, he sang. I can also prove that you were playing with the janitor's shoes during class time. I dropped the stick, stepping on it. You wouldn't. He danced back, laughing. I would. Noah patted his jeans pockets where a phone was nestled inside. He was the only kid allowed a phone in class due to him getting special treatment for being the mayor's son. The boy had two incriminating videos that would get me in trouble, maybe in even more trouble than the milk thief. The first one was a clear shot of me playing with the janitor's shoes in the teacher's lounge, and the second exposed me in perfect detail on my tiptoes trying to peer behind the wall. Immediately I tried to grab the phone off of him, but Noah Presley had an ulterior motive. I want to help you, he said, pocketing his phone. When I could only frown at him in confusion, he lowered himself into the dirt. Old man Critter is hiding something, he murmured, tracing the dirt with his fingers. Noah lifted his head, peering at me through dark curls hanging in his eyes. His smile was mischievous, definitely not the type I was used to. The mayor's son was more interesting than I thought. So let's find out what it is. Old man Critter? I questioned. Noah shrugged. He looks like a cockroach. The mystery white powder was cocaine. Obviously. However, to two seven-year-olds, this so-called white powder was a mind-controlling substance, or maybe even something that could end the world. After all, per Noah's detective skills, he saw the woman in public, and she was acting a little strange. Noah and I uncovered our janitor's evil plan after stalking him for weeks, writing our findings in crayon and staking out his house when we were supposed to be playing in the park. I became a regular visitor to the Presley household, and Noah's father wasn't as bad as I thought. He gave me cookies when I stayed over. Look, we were seven years old, so our findings weren't exactly concrete. But we still managed to uncover the clues leading to catching the janitor. There was a strange woman who met up with him outside the school gates at lunchtime. After some digging, we concluded she was buying the white powder from him. We managed to get a picture. Noah told the principal, presenting the evidence, and the janitor was fired for the possession of foreign substances. Noah and I were also reprimanded, again, for sticking our noses into business which wasn't ours. The adults tried to tell us the white powder was not bad, and was in fact candy. My parents were called, and Noah's father did not look happy to be there, sending Noah scary death glares from across the principal's desk. My mother stood up and apologized for my behavior, blaming my imagination on the cartoons I was watching. In front of my mom, I brought up the argument that a teacher wouldn't be selling candy to a woman. I received the look in return, but I didn't back down. She shook her head stubbornly, refusing to believe we were onto something, gently grabbing my hand and pulling me into my seat. I was threatened with zero dessert for a week and no cartoons, which did shut me up eventually. There was no way I was missing Saturday morning adventure time. The adults seemed to have won this silent battle, 
and the principal began a speech which was basically, children tend to have vivid imaginations, but we'll grow out of it. That was until a bored-looking Noah jumped out of his chair and grabbed the seized baggie of white powder, ripping it open, his mouth curling into a grin. Well, if it's candy, I can eat it, right? Following a loud cacophony of no from the adults who really thought a seven-year-old was about to down a half a pound of cocaine, and my mother almost fainting, our disgruntled parents finally agreed to take our claim seriously. The principal searched the janitor's locker, and sure enough, he pulled out multiple bags of white powder. Old man Critter had an audience of kids and faculty when he was being led away. Noah and I stood at the front. I remember him twisting around, teeth clenched in a manic snarl, saliva dripping down his chin. I'll get you, you little brats. I'll find you. That was the day we found our third member. I opened my mouth to shout back at him, but my mother was quick to shut me out. May Lee, who was standing between me and Noah, nudged me, and then elbowed him hard enough to get a hiss out of the boy. May was half Korean, a tiny girl with orange pigtails, who knocked Johnny Summers out during reading time for poking her in the face. May scared me. She scared Noah too, judging from the fearful look he shot me. I had a vague memory of her pigtails hitting me in the face during recess, and were somehow sharp enough to bruise my eye. May's gaze trailed our school janitor being violently dragged outside. Do you two even know how to catch bad guys? Yes, Noah mumbled under his breath. Obviously. He let out another hiss when she hit him again. Ow! Noah shoved her back. Your elbows are pointy. Well, you're not very good, May teased. I can help you catch bad guys. He snorted. Oh yeah? And what makes you think you can help us? May proved herself a few weeks later when we were on our second official case. Who stole Mrs. Johnson's award-winning carrots? I turned eight years old on the day May officially became part of our gang. We were supposed to be celebrating my birthday in the park, but of course, we had work to do. Mrs. Johnson's award-winning carrots were still missing, and we were determined to find them. After tracking down the missing vegetables to a seedy house at the end of my block, Noah had stupidly decided to check out the inside for himself, leaving me alone with zero help. This was the first time I felt genuine fear striking through me, the first time I wanted to run and crawl under my bed. The carrot thief was, in fact, the crazy old woman who screamed at cheese in the store, the one mom told me to stay away from. Using my dad's ancient binoculars and my mediocre lip-reading skills, I watched the crazy lady hold Noah hostage in her kitchen, Armed with an old World War II grenade, she swore she would detonate. It's not like I could follow him. I was in danger of getting caught too. Hiding behind the wall in front of her house, I had a perfect view of her kitchen window, and my friend awkwardly sitting at her table eating cookies. Had he switched sides? My attention flicked to the chocolate cookie in my friend's hand. My hands growing clammy around the binoculars. Could those cookies be forcing Noah to join the side of evil? When Noah pointed toward the window, right at me, I ducked, slamming my hand over my mouth, stifling a cry. I was so close to proving my mom right that I was putting myself in danger with this investigative hobby and calling for help when no other than May Lee stepped out of the crazy old woman's house hand in hand with an embarrassed looking Noah. Immediately I hugged him. Then I hit him. Why did you sell me out, stupid head? I yelled. What did she do to you? 
The boy blinked at me through thick brown hair. She gave me a cookie. What? But it could be controlling you. Noah pushed me away when I tried to check his ears for mind control devices. Stop hitting me. I was telling her I had a friend waiting for me outside. He grumbled. The boy refused to look at his rescuer, hiding under his hood. She wanted the carrots to feed her bunny. A proud-looking May held up the stolen carrots with a grin. I snuck in the back window. She shoved Noah with a giggle. Sorry, what did you say about not needing me, Mr. Know-it-all? Noah groaned, his gaze glued to the ground. Noah Presley was stubborn. She was like a thousand years old and feeding her bunny when you had attacked her. She didn't even tie me up and besides, he stuck out his tongue. I didn't even need rescuing. She made me cookies and I got to hold Sir Shrooms. Sir Shrooms? Noah giggled. Her bunny. May folded her arms. Say thank you, dumb butt. I already said thank you. Noah's cheeks were burning bright. You need to clean your ears. No, you didn't. I would have heard you. Thank you. Noah muttered under his breath. The girl snickered. What did you say, Noah? I said thank you. The boy ducked his head and I couldn't resist a giggle. He still refused to acknowledge being rescued by a girl. You're still stupid. Despite Noah making it clear he did not want another member joining our secret gang, we welcomed May into our group with our ritual, which was a chocolate cupcake and pushing her into the town lake. I did the same to Noah and the tradition kind of stuck. May wasn't just valuable to us for her fighting skills. She could talk her way out of a situation too. Noah and I got stuck in the principal's private bathroom investigating a small case of a stolen phone from a classmate. Our prime suspect was the principal himself who had been the last person with it. I was convinced he'd stuffed the phone in his bathroom trash after accidentally breaking it. We found numbers for phone repairs on his laptop. Noah and I were searching the trash when he came back from lunch early. If May wasn't there to interrogate him on his favorite video games, we would have been caught. And that year, we were rewarded a special junior police award at the Christmas parade for solving the mystery behind the disappearing holiday decorations. A teenage girl who wanted to ruin Christmas for everyone. I still remember Mom's scowl in the crowd. She really did not like my obsession with finding and bringing Middleview criminals to justice. Starting fourth grade, we became a trio of wannabe detectives and even earned a name for ourselves, the Middleview Three. Mom tried to keep me inside, but at the age of 10, we were getting tip-offs from the sheriff's daughter. We found missing cats, tracked down stolen vegetables, and even found a baby. When our name started to appear in the local gazette, Mom grounded me for two weeks, and Noah's father threatened to send him to private school. May's mother was strangely supportive, often providing snacks for stakeouts, and when Noah cut his knee chasing a runaway dog, stitching him back up, and not telling our parents. We were on our fifth or sixth case when a new kid joined our class halfway through the year. I wasn't concentrating, already planning out our stakeout in my notebook. It was our first serious case. All of the third grade had gotten food poisoning the previous day, and I was already suspicious of the new lunch lady. I swore she spat in my lunch, and May came down with the stomach flu after eating slimy-looking hamburger helper. The new kid didn't get my attention until he ignored our teacher's prompt to tell us three interesting facts about himself and proudly introduced himself as the fourth member of the Middleview Four. 
Noah, who was sitting behind me, kicked my seat, and May threw her workbook at me. They had a habit of resorting to violence when I was daydreaming. Lifting my head, I blinked at a private school kid standing in front of the class with far too much confidence, a grin stretched across his mouth. Rich, judging by his actual school uniform and the tinge of a British accent, the kid had dark blonde hair and freckles. My name is Harris Kane, he announced loudly, and I want to join the Middleview Four. Middleview Three, Noah corrected with a scoff. When fifteen pairs of eyes turned to us, I turned in my chair to shoot him a warning look. His death glare was typical. We don't need anyone else, he said through a pencil lodged between his teeth. The mayor's son had grown fiercely protective of our little gang. I could already sense his irritation that some random kid was trying to join us. Our confused teacher ushered the new kid to a seat, but he kept talking. I was the smartest student in my old school. Eris folded his arms. I want to help you with your current case. The boy cocked his head when I feigned a confused expression. The food poisoning case? He nodded at my notebook. I'm not stupid. I know you're already working on it. Eris strolled over to Noah's desk and pulled out the boy's notes from under his workbooks. Noah had been studying the footage we salvaged from the faculty lounge. You're looking at the wrong piece of footage, he announced. If you let me join, I'll lead you to the culprit. He stabbed at Noah's notes. Not bad, but you're missing something. Noah leaned back on his chair. Like what, new kid? Eris knew he had an audience of intrigued eyes. I think that thrilled him. You've been searching in the place most likely to have clues, he murmured. Which is the scene of the crime? Eris was right. We were going crazy trying to find anything incriminating in the cafeteria. But all we had found was old custard and a scary amount of recycled pasta. Eris prodded at Noah's notes again. Why not look in the place least likely to hold a clue? You might be surprised. Something in Noah's expression lit up, his eyes widening. The teacher's lounge, he said, just as the thought crossed my mind, May audibly gasping. Mr. Kane? Mrs. Jacobs was red-faced. She had already seized several of our phones and some earphones Noah had been using to listen to a potential culprit on a missing cat case. Please take your seat and stop talking about things that do not concern children. She put way too much emphasis on the latter word. I felt like telling her we were ten years old, not six, but that counted as talking back and my mom would be informed, so I kept my mouth shut. Noah, however, suffered from the doesn't-think-before-he-speaks disease. Well, maybe if the cops actually did their jobs, he spoke up, a group of children wouldn't have to help them. Mr. Presley? You know I'm right, Mrs. Jacobs, he said, with that innocent and yet mocking tone. We put our old janitor in jail when we were in the second grade. He laughed and the rest of the class joined in. It's not our fault the sheriff is totally incompetent at his job. The laughs grew louder, but this time the class were laughing at him, not with him. Mrs. Jacobs pursed her lips, her hands going to her hips. I believe the word you are trying to say is incompetent, which makes sense because you're failing at basic English. Perhaps if you focus on actual schoolwork and not your juvenile Scooby-Doo fantasies, you might be able to speak basic words. The teacher's eyes were far too bright to be a mocking a ten-year-old. 
Twisting around in my chair, Noah's gaze was burning into his desk. The teacher's attention turned to Eris, who was frowning at Noah, not with sympathy or pity. No, he was disappointed that a member of the famous Middleview Three, who were known to go against adults, had backed down to a teacher with no snarky remark. Eris Kane, Mrs. Jacobs raised her voice. Sit down. Eris slumped into his seat and pretended to zip his lips before leaning over my desk and dropping a memory drive into my pencil case. Here is the real footage, he murmured, shooting Noah a grin. Thank me later. We're not going to thank you because we don't know you, Noah spat back. However, the footage the new kid provided was just what we needed. The puzzle piece that put everything together. We were right, the new lunch lady had rushed into the office before lunchtime, grabbed a vial of something from her bag and disappeared back through the door. We had been too busy studying the camera footage from the kitchen to realize our clue was in fact inside the teacher's lounge. When the four of us stepped inside our principal's office, he regarded us with a scowl. I wasn't a stranger to his office. I had even picked my own seat, the fluffy beanbag near the door. The Middleview Three were in his office every week usually for breaking into classrooms and the time Noah tried to jump into the vent because he saw it on TV. Principal Maine was drinking something that definitely wasn't coffee or water. His desk was an avalanche of paper, and I swore I could already see steam coming out of his ears. You three. The man leaned forward, raising his brow at Eris, who looked way too comfortable at a school he had just joined. And you've dragged the new kid into your antics? I can't say I'm surprised when I've been on the phone with four separate reporters who want details on this Middleview 3 garbage. Noah's eyes lit up. Wait, really? Wait, what did you tell them? Principal Maine's eyebrows twitched. I told them the truth. He leaned back in his chair. This guy had some serious stress lines. You are three stubborn children with zero respect for authority. We have broken multiple rules and are very close to acquiring criminal records before reaching the age of 11. Which, I, uh, might I say, is a first. The youngest person in this town to get a criminal record was Ellie Daly, back in the 80s. She was 13 years old. We haven't broken any rules, May said. We've been catching bad people. The man's lip curled. We have a full force of officers whose jobs are to find bad people, he said. Middleview does not need the protection of three children who are barely old enough to know right from wrong. His eyes found Noah. He was always the punching bag for our teachers and I never understood why. Like there was this ongoing joke between the adults to point fun at him. Or left from right for that matter. Mr. Presley has demonstrated that several times, which is why you are in school, why you three should be learning instead of playing Sherlock Holmes. He shook his head. Get on with it. Why are you here this time? I hated our principal's condescending tone. He was angry, but I didn't think he'd be this angry. Go on, he urged us. What did you solve this time? Principal Maine inclined his head. Let me guess, he said. You found the Zodiac Killer. Well, that's quite the achievement. Noah opened his mouth to speak, and the man's expression darkened. Choose your next words very 
carefully, Mr. Presley. Your father may be able to cover up your detective games, but I will happily lose my job over suspending you from this school. Noah's eyes widened. But that's not... One more word, Maine said, emphasizing his threat by picking up his phone like he was about to make important phone calls. My mom did that too when I refused to shower or didn't eat my broccoli. Do not test me. The new kid surprised us by stepping forward, the flash drive clutched in his fist. It wasn't them, Principal Maine. It was me. He placed the evidence on the desk. Eris was a good actor. He was playing the innocent kid pretty well. I almost believed him, until he winked at us. I went to the middle view, I mean to these three, because I didn't want to come and see you alone, because I'm scared she'll poison me too. Eris dramatized a sob, and in the corner of my eye, Noah's eyes rolled to the back of his head. May, however, was entranced, her eyes wide. Their performance was award-worthy. The shaking hands, the slight stutter in his words that was subtle enough to be noticeable, but not enough to be faking it. Eris Kane was already our fourth member, and all of us knew it. Principal Maine took the flash drive, a frown creasing his expression. He inserted it into his laptop, and just from studying his expression as he watched the footage, widening eyes and slightly parted lips that were definitely stifling bad words, I knew he had them. Eris made sure to give commentary, which wasn't necessary, but I did enjoy the look on our principal's shell-shocked face. That's the new lunch lady, Eris pointed out. He started to lean over to prod the screen, but seeing the visible veins pulsing in our principal's forehead, the three of us dragged him back. Eris stumbled and we tightened our grip. I was already smiling, and even Noah was trying to hide a grin. This kid was definitely a member of the Middleview Three. I haven't met her, but as you can see, she is putting something into the third grader's food. Poison, May nodded. Or, uh, according to the police report, Maine went deathly pale. Salmonella. Noah finished with a smirk. The man didn't react, but he did shut his laptop and excuse himself, immediately calling the cops. I was grounded again after the food poisoning case. Worse still, I got sick for two weeks and was bedridden, so I missed out on two cases involving stolen birthday decorations. Noah was insistent that the new kid was not joining us. I received a multitude of texts cramming up my mom's notifications. She ended up muting him. He's not joining. I don't crew how smart he is. I don't like him, and I'm technically the first member. May is being stupid. We can talk when you're better and get well soon, okay? Two weeks later, I stepped into class, and Noah had taken the seat next to Eris, the two of them enveloped in the mountain of Pokemon cards on Eris's desk. May was trying to play, but apparently she needed Pokemon cards to join. When I questioned them, Noah looked up with a grin. Eris is cool now. His announcement stapled our fourth member. Entering teenagehood made me realize Middleview was not a good town, and its people had masks, even the ones I thought I knew. At 12 years old, we hunted down a child killer, a sadistic man who turned his victims into angels. It didn't take us long to realize the people we put away as little kids wanted revenge, and in their heads we were old enough to receive proper punishment. Mom told me we would regret our so-called fame as the town's junior detectives. 
and I thought she was wrong. I had spent my childhood chasing bad guys, so I was sure I could catch the real bad ones too. I was 14 when we ran into our first real criminal who specifically wanted us. Danny Budge was the reason why Noah started going to therapy at 14 and why Eris refused to go near the edge of town. May had taken time off to go see her family abroad, and I was put under house arrest. Seven-year-old Maisie Eaton had disappeared from her yard, and after searching for her for two nights, alongside the police who had learned to tolerate us working with them, we found her tied up inside an old barn. Sitting cross-legged on a pile of hay was Maisie. Awake, I could see her eyes were wide, but she wasn't moving or struggling. It didn't make sense to me. Wait. I nudged May. She's not moving. Eris rushed forward to untie the little girl, only to trip on a wire which was connected to a Final Destination-style contraption. Eris lifted his head, pointing above him. One more step, and he would have sent a sharpened spear directly through the little girl's head. Al! Eris hissed, already freaking out. He was frozen. What do I do? Stay calm, Noah said from my side the rest of us hiding behind an old car. The mayor's son had become our unofficial leader. Ever since hitting puberty, he was now our brawn alongside May. Noah jumped forward, watching for tripwires. I'll save the kid. May, you help Eris. Before I could get a word in, he was dragging me to my feet. Marin, you're with me. I nodded, stumbling in the dark, keeping my flashlight beam on the ground. You know what this means, don't you? Noah said in heavy breaths. His fingers wrapped around my arm. Maisie was innocent. There was no motive. She was just a distraction. Noah let out a hiss. Or even a lure. I did, but I didn't want to say it out loud because then my mom would be right. And I was admitting that there were multiple people trying to kill us. Luckily, we saved Maisie. Her kidnapper, Danny Budge, turned himself in with no word or explanation. Later, we would find out he was related to our elementary school janitor. The little girl was taken back to her mother, and the four of us stayed behind, peering up at the murderous contraption specifically made to butcher us. Eris nudged me, and I almost jumped out of my skin. You should probably keep this quiet, he said in a breath, his gaze glued to the long rope expertly tied to the ceiling. From your mother, May added. She squeezed my hand. Your mom will kill us before they do. We're going to die. Noah said in a sing-song, and I'm not even 16. He was right. One year later, our most gruesome and horrific case hit us like a wave of ice water, and I admitted we were just four kids completely out of our depth. Three townspeople had been found murdered in piles of bloody string. The photos from the scene made me sick, and I was still recovering from our old janitor's measly attempt at punishing us for ruining his life. We were stupidly blindsided by the string murders and thought we were following a clue. The next thing I knew, I was tied up back to back with Eris in my old janitor's basement while he caressed my cheek with a knife. Am I supposed to be here? Eris whispered, struggling in his restraints. Did he just call me Noah? I knocked my head against his. Don't tell him that idiot. What if he kills you? Funnily enough, Eris was right. Old Man Critter had mistaken Eris for Noah. The two of them were sandy blonde and reddish brown, one built like a brick wall while the other more wiry. However, to an old man with debilitating sight, 
I guess I could see it. Maybe if I squinted. So after an hour or two of empty threats and knife play, Noah and May came to our rescue, tailed by the police and... my mother. I think I would have rather been tied up with old man Critter than face her wrath. I was supposed to be at the library studying. I shot Noah a death glare and he offered a pitiful, almost puppy-like frown. Sorry, he mouthed. She made us tell her. Mom had gone as far as taping up my windows to make sure I didn't sneak out. I think me being kind of kidnapped but not really by old man Critter really sent her into panic mode. I did tell her that he didn't hurt us at all and just wanted to scare us, but Mom was past angry. She was impossible to talk to. May texted me halfway into a horror movie I was forcing myself to watch that another body had been found. Turning on the local news, she was right. This time it was a kid. May told me to get my ass out of the house. I knew where my mom hid the door keys, so at midnight, when I knew she was sleeping, I snuck out and rode my bike to the rendezvous we had agreed to meet at. May was already there, a flashlight in her mouth, fingers wrapped around her handlebars. The boys? I whispered, joining her. They're already there, she said through a mouthful of flashlight. Let's go. Eris was 99.9% .9 sure we would find a clue inside the old string factory. So that's where we headed. Noah and Eris were already waiting outside, armed with flashlights. The two of them quieter than normal. They didn't greet me or tease my absence from the gang. Okay, so here's what we're going to do, Noah announced. His voice swam in and out of my mind when I tipped my head back, drinking in the foreboding building in front of us. A shiver crept its way down my spine and suddenly I felt sick to my stomach, like something had come apart in my mind. I stumbled back, but something pulled me forwards, my mouth filling with phantom bugs skittering on my tongue. I really didn't want to go in there. I could sense my body moving, but I wasn't the one in control. Looking up, there was something there at the corner of my eye. It was above me and around me, everywhere, sliced in between everything. I couldn't look. I wasn't allowed to look. Marin? Noah twisted around to me and his face caught in the dull light of the moon. Hey, are you coming? Blinking rapidly, I nodded, despite seeing it with Noah too. I couldn't look. I wasn't allowed. Dude, are you good? My vision was blurring, and a scream was clawing its way up my throat. I took a step back, my eyes following his every movement. Noah? I didn't realize his name was slipping from my lips. A rooted fear I didn't understand setting my body into fight or flight. Why? I choked back tears. Why do you look like that? I held out my own hands, hot tears filling my eyes. I looked up into the sky at crisscrosses that didn't make sense. Yeah, I'm coming. My mouth moved for me, and I joined the others, pushing open the large wooden door. I didn't remember anything past the old wooden door we pushed through. Going back to that memory over and over again, all I remembered was pushing the door. I was found three hours later, inconsolable screaming at the side of the road, my fingers entangled with string. It was everywhere. Mom said I blocked out a lot, but I strictly remember blood-slicked string covering me, damp in my hands and tangled in my hair. There was no sign of the others. Mom put me in the back seat of her car and I slept for a while. My mother drove us far away from Middleview. I asked about my friends, 
but mom told me they weren't real. That middle view was a fantasy I had dreamed up as a child. She told me I was in a traumatizing incident as a child and mixed up reality and fiction. Cartoons in my own life. But they were real. No amount of private therapists spewing the same crap could ease my whole life. I was strictly told that I had a head injury. That I imagined the middle view for like my own personal fantasy. I didn't start believing it until I grew into an adult and was prescribed some pretty strong meds. So I began to wonder if they were in fact delusions. Mom's job was a mystery I couldn't solve, even as a 23-year-old. So I followed her one night, hopping into my car when she left our driveway. Her job was behind a 10-foot wall surrounded by barriers. Security guards were checking a car in, so I took my chance and slipped through on foot. What I saw behind the barrier was Middleview, the town I thought I hallucinated. I was immediately blinded by floodlights, illuminating the diner from my childhood. Middleview. I took a shaky step forward, my stomach twisting. It was a TV set. No, more of a stage. Inside, bathed in the pretty colors I remembered from my childhood, were my friends sitting in our usual booth, frozen at 15 years old. The Middleview 4, minus me, were exactly the same as when I left them. They were even wearing the same clothes. May, her orange pigtails bobbed along with her head. Eris was hunched over like usual, picking at his fries and dipping them in his shake. Except how could I take any of this seriously when they were surrounded by cameras? Noah slammed his hands down on the table with a triumphant grin. We are so close to cracking this case. I noticed his lips weren't moving with his voice. I started toward them slowly, even when the truth dangled above me, below me, everywhere. I stepped over it, blew it out of my face, reaching shaky hands forward to pull them aside. Eris laughed, and something moved above him. We were kidnapped last week. We are not close. You're just painfully optimistic. May nudged him, giggling. Let him have this. He thinks he's our leader. Noah punched the air, and there it was again. Movement. I am our leader. Closer. I found myself inches away from my best friend, and my blood ran so cold, so painful, poison in my veins. Noah stood up and I could see the reality of him in front of me. The reality of what I wasn't allowed to see. His head wobbled slightly when he smiled, mouth opening and closing in jerking motions. If I looked closer, his lips had been split apart to perfectly replicate a smile. I forced myself to take all of him in, all of Eris and May. The back of Noah had been hollowed out, a startling red cavern where his spine was supposed to be, where flesh and bone was supposed to be. Now I just saw strings. Looking closer, I could finally see them. Strings tangled around his arms, his legs, puppeteering his every move as he danced from string to string. I grabbed Noah's hand, and it was ice cold, slimy flesh that was long dead. He didn't move, but his eyes somehow found me. Noah's expression flickered with recognition before his strings were tugged violently, and he screamed, his eyes going wide, lips twisting. Marin? His artificial eyes blinked and he slowly moved his head. You left us. Noah's lips curled, a deep-throated whine escaping his throat. You 
left us. He twisted around, his lip wobbly. Why? His frightened eyes flickered from me to his own hands. All those inside jokes our teachers had, I thought dizzily. Was this what it was for? Was Noah Presley nothing but comedic relief? Why am I cold? Noah mumbled. Cut! Someone yelled. I staggered back, words tangled in my throat. Noah opened his mouth, but he was pulled back, this time violently, his strings above jerking, tangling together. Allison! A man shouted from behind me. Why is your daughter on the stage? Get her out of here. I was paralyzed, still staring at the hollowed-out puppet who had been my best friend. When my mother's arms wrapped around me so tight, I lost the ability to breathe. I was still staring at the strings crisscrossed above me, Noah's strings pulling him back, Eris's strings forcing him to laugh, May's strings bobbing her head in a nodding gesture. Marin? Mom whispered into my back. You cannot be here. They're here, was all I managed to whisper. Her sobs shook me. I didn't realize my mother was crying until I felt her tears wet on my shoulder. The words were entangled on my tongue, but just like the string above me, they were knotted and contorted. They were here. All this time? And you made me think I was crazy? What did you do to them? What did you do? No, sweetie. They're no, they're not. Mom's voice was breaking, her grip tightening around me. The world was spinning and I was barely aware of myself kicking and screaming while my mom struggled to shout over me. I was going to expose them to the world, she hissed out, dragging me away from Noah, away from his jerking, puppet-like mouth. I couldn't comprehend that he existed as that, as a conscious thing that had been carved out of its insides. You were the property of an evil and very powerful little girl who owns this town and everyone in it. My mom spat in my ear. They made me keep my mouth shut, so I begged them to save one of you. Just one. I had to cut one of you down before I went crazy. I was still screaming when she calmly dragged me to my car, slipping a shot into the flesh of my neck. I remembered the rain pounding against the window, my mother's pale face shining with tears, her stifled sobs into the wheel. And I chose you. I woke up the next morning with what was supposed to be a wiped memory, but I wasn't lucky enough to forget. I am terrified of her finding out I remember her exact words from the car ride home. I'm scared she, or her work, will make me forget them for real. Mom told me that I once had strings too, strings that cut through me, cruelly untangling around me, suffocating my mind and controlling my every move. Strings that would soon pierce through me and turn me into a little girl's doll. But she saved me, cutting me down, when I was still human. And now I guess, I am a real girl. That's it, I really hope you enjoyed it. Thank you so much, Tia, for allowing me to read your story. I hope you all enjoyed it. If you did, please like the video, maybe subscribe if you're feeling so inclined. I'd love to see you around more often, especially in the next video, which is surely going to be a good one. If you'd like to, we do have a Discord you can come hang out in. We would love to have you there just to come chit-chat, hang out, maybe post some, some nice pictures of food. Other than that, uh, if you'd like to do a little bit more, 
There is a Patreon you can join if you'd like to support the channel. It's obviously up to you. Um, other than that, I think that's it. I just really hope you enjoyed it. Whether you're on YouTube or the podcast or wherever else, I really hope you enjoyed yourself. And with that said, we'll see you in the next one.